The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or at cock crow or in the morning. May he come, may he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you could call your 20-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give? You know, it's, it's a fun speculation, right? You hear the conversation. If, if I only knew now what I knew then, oh, how my life would be different. So let's just, let's just play along. So if, if you can call, if, I, if somebody gave you a magic telephone and you call your younger version of yourself, what advice would you give the younger, more handsome, more fit version of yourself? <laughs> so I was thinking about it. What would I, if I can call young, good-looking Brian, right? What would I say to him, right? First of all, I think I'd say, invest in Amazon. Right? <laughs> invest. There'll be a company coming along that sells books at first. But... It's going to take over the world, and you want to be rich. So invest in Amazon. So yeah, invest in Amazon. So I tell a younger version of myself that. And also, I, I warned my 20-year-old version of myself. At 23, don't, don't bleach your hair blonde. It doesn't look good. It won't look good on you. I said, okay, no bleaching of my, my hair at 23. I didn't, by the way. But, but all of the advice I would give myself was very worldly immediately. That'd be rich looks, very, very worldly values. So somebody asked this same question now to Colonel Chris Hadfield. He is a Canadian astronaut. He was the commander of the International Space Station up to 2013. Many Canadians know him. He's a household name there. And so in an interview, they asked him that very same question because they want to see his perspective. Because when you're floating in space for months at a time, and you look down on earth, you gain new insights. Because here, when we're down here on earth, we see all the turmoil, the fighting, the bickering, the pettiness that, that is our lives. And so we asked them, this astronaut floats around in space, looks down, because the earth looks a lot different from up there. It's tranquil. It's peaceful. And so if he could speak to a 20-year-old version of himself, this is what he said in the interview. And I'll quote him at length, so please bear with me. This is what he says. I think 
But would I have been worthwhile to explain to myself at 20 is to recognize that every single person you meet is struggling. I didn't know that then. You tend to see other people as completely formed individuals. I still do sometimes. But to recognize that everybody you meet, every single one of them, no matter how expensive their suit is or how serious their expression is, they are looking for significance. They are trying to do the best they can and they fail regularly. They are within their own particular battle of their own life. So cut them some slack. End quote. What I love about that quote is that we tend to think of advice as, again, as, as, as worldly, as, as, as worldly accumulation of some good, but well, what astronaut Chris Hanfield said was that to recognize that everybody that we meet is carrying a huge cross in their lives. Everybody. Everybody. And so even though we put on a, a nice face, we all put on our masks, and we all dress well, but vast majority of us are broken, mightily. And we have no idea what people carry. And so when, when he recognizes that, all of a sudden he interacts with people differently from that perspective. So what happens if all of a sudden we interact with one another from that perspective? I'm going to be more patient with you, aren't I? More kind. More loving. And when I heard of this quote, now that I've been a priest for nine years, I, I see this, especially in ministry. When people come to that confessional, or people come to my office in tears, and I'm witness to try to help. What happens is that I, I see now firsthand how people come with these huge problems, family relationships strained in, in all the myriad ways that we tend to mess things up. And the problem is so huge. Or somebody comes in, Father, I have terminal cancer. I'll be dead within a year. I got young kids. These huge problems that come, or Father, I'm going to lose my house in a year. You see all these huge problems, and then they're sitting in the pew right next to you. We have no idea what they're going through. But in every single one of these burdens and these crosses, isn't it true that in some way we're all looking for a Savior then? Aren't we? We're looking for, for that somebody that could ride in to help my, my, my marriage, right? To help the struggling relationship. Or somebody, some, some amazing doctor or some medication to come in, swoop in, and to cure that disease. Or to help me find some, some, some financial security. In a sense, on all of these crosses that we carry, these burdens that we, again, that we all have, we're looking for help. Isaiah, in the first reading, understood this well. Notice what he says here. 
You, Lord, are our Father. This is the first time in the Jewish scripture that the phrase, our Father, enters in. This is the first time that those two words, our Father, is a title applied to God. Isn't that beautiful? Our Father, and then he intensifies it. You are our Redeemer. You are named forever. Now notice this, he says, Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways? Return for the sake of your servants. And his whole litany, and he goes down deeply. He essentially says, Lord, you are our Father. Come, save us. See, what Isaiah here is prophesying, he's prophesying, he's begging God to come and intervene in our mess. This is the heart of it, because we all, even in our individual lives, our whole society, our whole world, you look at it in any honest perspective, we can't get out of this mess through ourselves. See, again, this is why we're always, as Christians, we are above politics. Because we understand, yeah, we have a preference for whoever to be elected, but at the end of the day, our faith and our trust is not in political power or in systems. But rather, our faith and our trust are in God. And so Isaiah is calling out, Father, come. We need you. We've messed things up. And then now look at the heart of the gospel message. With all that in the background, Isaiah crying out, Jesus himself tells his disciples, be watchful and be alert. Because I am coming back. You see, Isaiah, what he's done, he's prophesying for the return of God in a remarkable way, how God will do this, he will do this at the end of time. And which is why when when we began the Holy Mass, if you're wondering, why is Father facing the wrong way? So we've done this now for the past couple years. We've reverted to the, what we call it, the ad orentum posture at Mass. So think about this. From the very beginning of Christianity, 2,000 years ago, all the way through, all the way up until 1968, the Mass was celebrated in this posture. So every priest has two legitimate options to offer the Mass. One, which is what what we're going to do for the next four Sundays, the adorantum, which means towards the east in Latin. Or the second legitimate option is the, the more traditional or the more common way, which we've been doing all year long, where the priest faces you. And why I think it's such a beautiful time to reintroduce this ancient posture of the Holy Mass is because what it does is, as, we, as the priest faces the same direction as you, this ancient move, what it's doing it is, why, why early Christianity adopted this posture? was because we are awaiting religion. We are awaiting religion. We are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our Lord himself says, you have no idea when this is. That's why I do not believe any preacher who says they know the exact time of the end of the world. The moment someone says that, by the way, say, all right, liar. And many, many have come. Whole religions have been started by people predicting the end of the world. Don't believe them. Our Lord himself says, you don't know when. Don't, don't, don't believe these, these, these people that say, July 13th, 1968, Jesus will come back. That day comes, what happens? Nothing. And so from the very beginning, we thought our Lord would come back within the lifetime of the apostles. And then he didn't. 
But then we adopted the position saying, we will stand vigilant and wait for him. And so that is why Christianity adopted this ancient posture of the Mass. Because essentially what I'm going to do is that when we began the Eucharistic prayer, notice the tone of the prayers will shift. And all of the prayers that I will say is geared towards God the Father. We're looking at Him. And so as a priest, my duty is to disappear. Which is again why we, why as priests in ancient Christianity always wear vestments in our services. It's because why we don't wear secular clothing. Because essentially what we're saying is that if I'm good at my duty, at my job, is that I'm supposed to fade away and disappear. And so I don't on the vestments of the high priest. And I stand in place of Jesus Christ as persona Christi, the person of Jesus. And we re-enter into the mystery of Calvary and the Last Supper. And so remember when Jesus was at the Last Supper and when Jesus was at Calvary, he was speaking to God the Father, wasn't he? And so as priest now, as ordained priest, as the successor of the apostles, I stand in that place. And so through my ordination, now I speak to God the Father on behalf of the people. And I offer the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the Father. And so we all turn in one direction, looking at the Father, begging for him to come. Come again. Send Jesus back into the world. Prepare ourselves as we wait in anticipation. And our Lord is saying, so now we've been waiting, what, 2,000 years for him to come back? The human tendency is to grow lazy. Get distracted by the shiny things. And so Jesus knows that about us. And he says, be watchful, be alert. The word that he uses here, grego reo, which means literally, be alert, stand vigilant, don't grow lazy in the faith, I am going to come back again. And don't let me catch you sleeping in your faith, because then it will be too late. And so now all the readings for all of Advent, watch the tone of the readings. They begin to shift and they get intense. The readings for Advent will begin to get intense. And it's all about preparing ourselves to look above towards the end. The end of the world. When our Lord will come in his glory again. And all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our brokenness will finally be healed. So my brothers and sisters, as we begin this awesome season of Advent, be watchful, be alert. For at a time you do not know, our blessed Lord will come back for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.